Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our study into the book of Isaiah by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here is this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be turning to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. As you turn there, I want to just reiterate what these guys are saying about revival You know, revival is for the lives and hearts of us who are believers. It's not for that person who is without Christ. We certainly want that person without Christ to come to know Jesus. Amen? But the way that they're going to be hungry to know that is because they see Jesus alive in us. You can't be revived until you've been vived to begin with. And that revival is the fact that we're seeking for that and searching for that, for God to do a fresh work in our heart and our fellowship And whenever we get right with God, God will draw all men unto himself. So I want to encourage you to you spend time in your own quiet time where you spend time as you pray on behalf of our fellowship that God will revive us. But not just our fellowship, but our whole nation. Amen. I don't know about you, but you don't have to read the paper very long or watch the news or find out what's happening in Washington. You figure out we definitely need a spiritual awakening. We need a revival of some kind and for hearts to be changed there as well. So pray with me and pray for us that we might see a great and glorious spiritual awakening and revival. We've been focusing on Isaiah 53, the gospel according to Isaiah 53. It was interesting this past Wednesday night when I was sitting there, one of our members came up and said, well, what are we going to be preaching now? Because you've got to be finished with Isaiah 53. And I told her, nope, not yet. I have one more message to preach from Isaiah 53. Plus, I may do something a little special next week about presenting the gospel from Isaiah 53. But I said, no, there's one more message. I I don't know if you realize there was a passage when we went through it that we did not focus on. And I want to focus on that. And then you'll see why that and how that ties together. And those verses that we're focusing on are found in Isaiah 53, verse number 12. If you'll notice last week, we just kind of skipped over these verses, but they're very important verses. Remember, Isaiah 53 is Isaiah's presentation of Jesus, presentation of the Messiah. And therefore, it covers everything that he is going to do and how he's going to die and pay for the sins of each of us that we might be redeemed. But it goes beyond that. It talks about everything about his life of how he came, and also, ultimately, what his reward is. And this is what it talks about right here in verse 12. Listen. Therefore, you need to circle that word. Anytime you see that word in Scripture, you need to circle that because it tells you what it's there for. Why is this? What's happening? Well, it's talking about that he's, he's died, he's paid the price for our sin, he's, he's been, the iniquity of us has fallen on him. All these things have happened that he's been willing to bear. He's the suffering servant. This anointed servant of God has been willing to suffer on our behalf. And it says, therefore, because of that, I, God speaking, will allot him a portion with the great. And he will divide the spoil or booty with the strong. He says, because of what he's going to do, I'm going to allot him a portion, a place with great, with the great. I'm going to exalt him. I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to give him glory. I'm going to give him honor. 
And he says, not only that, he says, I'm going to share the spoils of victory, for he has won the victory. I'm going to share the spoils of victory with him and with those who are strong, with those who have been recipients of his grace and goodness and of his victory. So he, he says in there, therefore, I'm going to exalt him and I'm going to give him good things. I'm going to glory in him. Well, now those two verses tie us back to something that we missed when we got started with Isaiah 53. I hope all of you remember this, that, that the Bible is not, was not originally written in chapters and verses. Do y'all realize that? It was just written in, in just like if you would write a letter. It was written in paragraphs, just like you would write a document. That's the way it was written. But the reason we have the chapters and verses is so that we can find it. Now, I don't have to describe, well, you go this far or that far. I simply say Isaiah 53, verse 8 or 12, you can turn there. But it's not a part of the original. Now, I'm glad we have those, but, but sometimes that's a hindrance. Because sometimes we think that when the chapter begins, that that's the thought where it began. But that's not true. Many, many times the thought will continue through the chapters. And it will be something that's very important prior to that. And if you don't catch that, you're going to miss something important. Well, that's what happens here in Isaiah 53. Because Isaiah 52, the last part of Isaiah 52, goes along with Isaiah 53. Now, most people just begin in Isaiah 53. But you miss something very, very important in Isaiah 52. Because, and this is where the Jews struggle. Isaiah 53 talks about this anointed servant who's going to be the suffering servant. Boy, he's suffered, hasn't he? He's went through agony and pain for our redemption. And it's without a doubt he has suffered. But do you know that Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13, talks about an exalted servant. A servant who is exalted. And see, the Jews, where they struggle, is they, they, have, they can't put it together. That the one who's the suffering servant is also the exalted servant. That the one who is going to pay for the transgressions is also the one who is lifted up on high. See, that's what Jesus is, and that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who suffered for our sin, but he's Lord of lords and King of kings and the exalted one. And if you read Isaiah in 52, 13, all the way through 53, you get it all tied together. That this same servant who is the suffering one is the exalted one. It's the same one. And before he ever began talking about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, he says, let me tell you about how he's going to be exalted to begin with. He's the exalted servant. He'll tell you why. And then he goes on and talks about what this servant does and through his suffering. And then he comes to that point, what we just read. Therefore, because he suffered, that's why I said in 52, 13 and following that he is exalted. So if you want to see what it means to exalt this servant, to exalt Jesus, you got to go to chapter 52, verse 13. So this is what it says. 52, 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus, you ought to circle that word. Thus, 
He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not they had not been told them had been told them they will see and what they had not heard they will understand now you need to leave your bibles open as we look at this okay very quickly i want you to see what it says about this exalted servant about the lord jesus here's the first thing it says verse 13 look at there behold my servant will prosper what does that mean well there, if you look at different translations it'll tell you different things one will say my servant will be prudent My servant will prosper, or my servant will be wise. Write this down. This is literally what those words mean in the Hebrew language. Write this down. He will obediently and faithfully do the will of the Father. He's going to be prudent, and he's going to prosper, and he's going to be wise. And all of those things are because he's going to faithfully and obediently do the will of the Father. This servant who is coming, who is going to be exalted, who is also going to suffer, he is going to be one who's going to fully and faithfully do the will of the Father. That's what Philippians 2 tells us, isn't it? That he humbled himself, even though he existed in the form of God, he humbled himself and came to this world, taking on the form of man. Not only the form of man, he became a servant or a slave. Not only that, he was willing to die and to die on a cross, for that was the will of the Father. That was the will of the Father. Well, we don't have to just look at Philippians chapter 2. We can go to the cross or the Garden of Gethsemane. At the Garden of Gethsemane, what was the struggle that went on there? When Jesus prayed, the agony of his heart is he wants to do what the Father would have him do. But it is a tough calling. It is a difficult cup to drink of. So what did he say to the Father? Father, if this cup... If this cup can pass by me and I do not have to drink of it, then let it pass by me. But not my will, but thy will be done. And what was the will of God? That he would drink of that dreaded cup and that he would partake of that horrible cup so that you and I might be redeemed. You and I might be saved. That cup that he took of, that will of God, is what Isaiah 53 is all about. That he had to suffer. That he had to become sin. That he had to bear our iniquity. But it says of this exalted servant, he's going to be exalted because he was willing to do obediently and faithfully the will of the Father. So what does it say? Look at 13. Because he was willing to do that, he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. It's not talking about being lifted up on the cross there. It's talking about he's going to be lifted up. Like Philippians said, what did Paul say? Listen, because he humbled himself, God gave him a name above all names. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. 
And then we read and studied the Revelation, and, and man, the Lamb of God sitting on the throne with the glory of God round about him with all the nations bowing before him and proclaiming he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Why did he have that? Because he was willing to do what the Father asked of him. He will be highly exalted. Greatly exalted, lifted up on high. Then look what it says in verse 14. Don't miss that. Listen. Just as many were astonished at you, my people. What's he talking about there? Well, who who is this written to? Who's Isaiah writing to? Is he writing this to a bunch of Gentiles? Is he writing to Gentiles? The answer is no. Let's say that again. Is he writing that to Gentiles? No, not writing to the Gentiles. So if he's not writing to Gentiles, he's writing to to Jews, all right? So he's writing to Jews. And he's using them as an illustration. He says, listen, just as many were astonished at you, my people. People were astonished at the Jewish nation. Can you understand why? Let me go over their history. Are are y'all really quick today? Are are y'all focused in? I'm fixing to run through history in a hurry, and you're going to have to be awake. Punch somebody. Tell them to wake up, all right? I'm telling you, the nation of Israel will be the most unlikely nation to be blessed of God and called of God. I mean, they come into birth by an, with an old man who's 100 years of age who has a barren wife. And she has been barren all the days of her life. And she gives birth at the age of 90 to a baby boy named Isaac. That is not usual. (laughs) They only have that one child of promise. And then he ends up with his wife having two children, a set of twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau, the oldest, Jacob, the second. But God chooses Jacob, the younger, to be the one that he is going to have the lineage of Israel. And Jacob is a scoundrel. The word Jacob means to pick or pick by the heel, to trip one up. That's what he did in all of his life. He was that way. Why in the world did God choose him? Because that's an unlikely source of a great nation. But he does choose him, and he redeems him, and he changes him. And that man, Jacob, then ends up having 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. In those 12 tribes of Israel, you have an unexpected experience that happens. For one of those children is named Joseph, one of those sons. And the other brothers become jealous of him because he's a dreamer. And they decide they will sell him into slavery. They go and sell him into slavery. But after he's sold into slavery, he goes over being in Potiphar's house and the prison. He finally interprets dream and he gets appointed to be prime minister over Egypt. How could you expect that to happen? That's an unlikely story. But he becomes prime minister over Egypt in order to preserve his family, to prepare a place for them. And all that family comes and lives in the place called Goshen. And there they are blessed by God. And there they multiply. Matter of fact, they multiply so much that they become a great and powerful nation, literally millions of people. There are so many that the Egyptian Pharaoh, who now no longer remembers Joseph, becomes jealous about them and afraid of them and says, if we let them keep multiplying, they will overcome us. So we will make them slaves. And therefore, that nation of Israel became slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. 
looking as though that is going to be their destiny, but it was not. For God raised up a deliverer. His name was Moses. And boy, what an unlikely expectation that would be. For he blew it the first time and ends up chasing sheep for 40 years in the backside of the Midian desert, but God calls him in a burning bush, amen, and sends him back and says, you're going to set my people free. He comes there, and to set the people free, he says to Pharaoh, you need to let God's people go. Pharaoh said, no, (laughs) but after 10 plagues, the last one of being the the death angel coming, Pharaoh changed his mind and allowed the people to go to plunder Egypt as they went to carry out the wealth of Egypt as they made their way to the Red Sea. But Pharaoh changed his mind. And Pharaoh said, I must not let my slaves go. So he changed his mind and he pursues them to the Red Sea only to have that great and glorious miracle of the parting of the Red Sea so that the children of Israel would go across on dry land and he would eventually bury Pharaoh and his army in the midst of the Red Sea. Now they are in the wilderness. They should have traveled through the wilderness in a short period of time and gone to the promised land that God had promised to them that they would have. But because of their sin, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses, even Moses, did not go to the promised land because of a sin that he committed when he struck the rock the second time instead of speaking the rock. So Joshua has to lead them in. But bless God, finally they get in to the promised land. They win victory after victory, even though it is not complete, but they become a great and powerful nation. They eventually want to have a king. They have Saul. They have David. They have Solomon. All of those things are the blessings, and they become a powerful nation under God until they sinned. Whenever they sinned then, you see the northern kingdom was overrun by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom, Judah, eventually is defeated by the Babylonians and the children of Israel are carried away and into Babylon, and they're going to be there for 70 years. They think they're going to be forever, but no, God told them, after 70 years, you will return. They returned, they built their nation back, they built that temple back, but still their hearts were not where it ought to be. So they went through about 400 years of never hearing a word from God. Yet God said to them, there will be one who will come out of the lineage of David who will sit on God's throne forever. He will be a righteous king. He'll be the redeemer. He'll be the king of kings. I'm sending him. And John the Baptist eventually comes and announces that there is going to be this Messiah and we know him to be Jesus. Let me tell you something. Do you understand why? Do you understand why God would write and said, people were astonished <laughs> Many were astonished even as they were astonished about you. Israel was an unlikely source to be this great nation and be the nation chosen whereby the Messiah would come. But God said, I choose you. And the whole world backs up. Even to this day, God's people, Israel, the the whole world is amazed at what God does and how God protects Israel. Many were astonished at you, my people. Now, notice what he says. Go back to the passage there in 53. Listen, or 52, verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Do you know what it's like? You know what it's like? It's like God took the prophet Isaiah, and he moves him 700 years into the future. 
He moves him 700 years into the future and he sits him at the cross. And Isaiah, in those visionary eyes that God has given him, he's sitting at the cross and he's looking up at the cross and he sees this one who is going to be the exalted servant, but who God is going to explain to him is going to be the suffering servant. And he sees how Jesus has been beaten. He's been marred, thorns on his head, bruised, nailed to a cross. And the form of him has been marred. And his appearance is certainly not what people want to look upon. And he says, as you were astonishing the world that God would make you his people, so whenever people would look on this man hanging on the cross, they would be astonished that he would be the exalted servant. They would be astonished and amazed that he is the exalted servant, but he was. And he is. And he will be lifted up. What it says in verse 15. Don't miss this. Listen. Thus, you ought to circle that word, thus. It means because of this, because of this, listen. Thus. He will sprinkle many nations. What does that mean? He, thus, he will sprinkle many nations. Thus, because he's hanging on that cross. Thus, because he is willing to pay for the iniquity of sin and the transgressions of all of us. Thus, because of what he's willing to do. He will sprinkle many nations. What's he talking about? Well, He's talking about this priestly responsibility. If you go back to the Old Testament in Joshua, I mean in Exodus chapter 29, beginning there and through the whole book of Leviticus, you find that God set forth a sacrificial system. And in that sacrificial system, there was the altar of sacrifice. There was the killing of the animals. There was the shedding of blood. For without the shedding of blood, there was not the remission or forgiveness of sin. And if you'll read through, throughout Leviticus, I'll, I'll just encourage you to do that. Many people don't read Leviticus because they think it's boring. It is not boring, I promise you. If you'll apply it to it, it is not boring. Read through Leviticus. And it'll say, there is the peace offering. There is the sin offering. There is the guilt offering. There's all kinds of offerings that are made. And it gives specific instructions about what animals are to be killed, how they're to be killed, and about their blood. And in every one of those cases, there priests would be commanded that they would take the blood. They would take the blood of the sacrifice and they would sprinkle it on the altar. Or they would take the blood of the sacrifice and they would sprinkle it upon the priest. Or they would take the blood of the sacrifice and they would sprinkle it upon the people. Now I know you might think, boy, that is gross. But let me tell you something. If that's how you are redeemed, sprinkle the blood on me, bless God. For we are under the blood. That was the priest's responsibility, to sprinkle the blood. And the sprinkling of the blood is what made it clean. That's what made it clean. That's what made it acceptable. That's what set it apart, to be holy unto God. And do you hear what it says right here? It says that this exalted servant fulfilling that priestly duty. And what did it say in Hebrews about Jesus? He is our high priest. 
He is our high priest. He is our mediator, the one mediator between us and God. And in that priestly duty, he takes the blood and he sprinkles the blood on you. And it says he sprinkles the blood on many nations. On many nations. Let me show you. Hold your hand here just a second. Go to the Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. I want you to remember that song they sung. Listen. And when they sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seal. For thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. What does he mean by that? By thy blood... Jesus sprinkled the blood on every tongue, every nation, every people. There'll be somebody from every tongue, every nation, every people. For Jesus' blood cleanses them, and he sprinkled the blood upon them. Wow. Just think about that, okay? Just think about that, that Jesus sprinkled that blood. Now, here's here's the difference. Those priests, those other priests, you know what they did? They would get the blood of the calf or the blood of the ram or, or the blood of the pigeon, whatever the blood would be that they could, was a sacrifice, they would sprinkle that blood. But not the Lord Jesus Christ. He sprinkles his own blood. For he is not only the priest, he is the sacrifice. And how did he sprinkle his blood? He shed his blood on that cross. I want to give you a couple of things that you ought to think about. Matthew's gospel, Matthew 27. I want you to hear something. This was a, this was a, uh, what the people said around the cross, the Israelites, as they were nailing Jesus to the cross and as he was dying. I want you to hear what the people said. It says, verse 24, And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See see to it yourselves. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. They did not know what they said when they said that. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He shed his blood that they might have the opportunity to be made clean. I'll show you something else that's kind of interesting. It's in John's gospel, chapter 11. Caiaphas was the high priest, but he wasn't a godly man. But he still had the position of high priest at that time. I want you to hear what he says in relationship to Jesus. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, is when Jesus was on trial who was a high priest that year and said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. Now this he did not say on his own initiative, being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nations. That Jesus was going to die for the nations. The nations. And what does it say? That Jesus, this one who is the exalted servant, thus he will sprinkle many nations. He will cleanse many nations. And you, if you know Jesus, have been cleansed by the sprinkling of his blood. Look what else it says now. 
After this happens, kings will shut their mouths on account of him. What, what is that talking about? Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. That idea of shutting their mouth is whenever they perceive of something, they experience something, they know of someone or something that takes their speech away. It's something that is beyond what they can communicate, what they can think, and all they can do is shut their mouths. Kings here, everywhere in the world, they rule and reign. They think they're in charge. They act as though they have all kind of power and everything else. But let me tell you what. They only have power because God gives them power. Amen? And one day they won't have any more power. And one day they're going to stand before the king of kings and lord of lords. And they have to give account of who they are. And you know what it says? They're going to stand before this exalted servant, this one who is the surfing servant, the one who is going to sprinkle them and make them clean if they would willingly allow him to. But they are all going to stand before him one day and they're going to do nothing but shut their mouths. Look what it says. For what had not been told them they will see. All right, listen. And what they had not heard, they will understand. We'll understand it in the by and by, amen? <laughs> we'll all understand in the by and by. Do you know in the by and by? Everybody's going to understand. And all those arrogant people who might be kings and rulers who think they have power and they think they have position and they think they don't have time for God and they're not interested in the suffering servant and they don't know much about Jesus and they don't have time for that. They're all going to stand one day with their mouths shut, not saying anything because that which they heard but they did not understand, they will now understand. That which had not been told them, and it means that they had not grasped it or been willing to be told. That which had not been told them, they will know. And this is pictured in the Revelation. Whenever we went to the Revelation, it's pictured in the Revelation. I'll read it for you. In Revelation chapter 20, it says this. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead. Listen. The great and the small. That means the kings and the peasants. Amen. The great and the small standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Listen now. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone's name who was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The small and the great will stand before God. And some of those great are going to be the kings who did not understand, who did not receive, who did not believe, 
And when they stand before that exalted servant who's going to be high and lifted up by Almighty God, for he was willing to do the will of the Father, he would suffer and drink of the dregs of that sorry cup. He would do all that he had to do to redeem the world, to sprinkle them with his blood, to make them clean and acceptable. Those kings will shut their mouths. For there will be nothing that they can say. But it just won't be kings who shut their mouths. It's going to be people like you and me who are going to shut our mouths. For we did not believe. We did not receive. We did not understand that the way of his cross leads home. But bless God, I'm not going to be one of those. I'm not going to be one of those. For I am going to join in and sing the song of the redeemed. (laughs) I get to sing in glory. I get to sing the song of the redeemed. I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And even though my sins be as scarlet, his blood has made me whiter than snow. What will you do? Where will you be when the exalted servant, the anointed one of God, None other than Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, is revealed. What will you be doing? I hope you will join in the song of the redeemed because you are redeemed. You have that privilege. You have that opportunity. You have that opportunity now. To give your heart to Jesus. And if there's nothing else in Isaiah 53 and what we read in 52, you ought to have a clear understanding of what it took and what Jesus did to redeem you. He waits for you to say, yes, I'll believe. Yes, I'll receive. Yes, I want to be your child. Have you done that? That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.